So what we want to talk today about is that Sundays can change your family. This is week three of our emphasis on the importance and significance of Sunday, being a day of rest, being the day of worship uh, that God calls us to do. And we know then that as we come and we give of ourselves in worship and we prepare ourselves for that worship, then Sundays can have a profound effect upon our life. The first week we talked about Sundays uh, can surprise you. And we gave you a box of Cracker Jacks, a treat from long ago, with a surprise inside. Some of you talked about the fact that uh, the younger generation said, I never had a box of Cracker Jacks before. Now, last Sunday, we saw how Sundays can make for better Mondays. And we gave you a gift card for an ice cream Sunday at Sonic. How many of you got your, your uh, Sunday from Sonic? Some people had pictures of it uh, on Facebook and other places about that. That's neat. Well, today we worship with that theme about the fact that says uh, Sundays can change your family. And what we're doing is putting the significance upon Sundays as a day to rest, uh, to refuel, um, to refocus, and to regroup as we worship God and as we rest. And it gets us ready for the week that's coming. And that's how it helps us to have a better Monday. We don't have as many blue Mondays as we go off into that uh, new week, whether it's at work or whether it's at school or wherever it might be. So the significance of all of this emphasis, and today being the third week of it is, is that in our homes and in our home life, um, we have the opportunity to make a difference. And that's what I want us to think about today. Now, what we're going to do today when we talk about Sundays can change your family is, yes, we do have something for you that we hope you will take home and use as a family. We have a package of popcorn, and we have a certificate for, I think it's a Redbox uh, movie. And our intent is that you as families uh, take that time to have a family night, a real family night, You put your cell phones, your iPad, laptop, everything else aside. You watch the movie that you pick out, and you pop the popcorn, and you enjoy that evening together. Now, I know in this gathering, uh, we don't have as many younger families uh, as we do uh, in the second worship hour. So, you know, here's some suggestions. If that doesn't suit you, you know, you say, well, I'm not really into popcorn, and and I don't know what I would watch as a movie, and I kind of get in that same category as well. You know what? You could give it. To a young couple, young family, may say in your neighborhood, and the cards got on it, Spring Valley Baptist and that, and you said, this is from our church. We're talking about how important Sundays can be for families, and I want you to enjoy this popcorn and movie on our church, okay? Or you could give it to somebody in your family that maybe is not in this church, and, and they could enjoy it, all right? Or you could just have a, a time where you go get a good family movie, and you invite some neighbors to come in. And share the popcorn with you. You might need to pop more than one bag. And and let them enjoy the movie with you, okay? Or you could gather all of your extended family if they're close by. And you have just a great big family night. And you put all the distractions aside and really have it as family time. Or you could just simply treat yourself to a special snack (laughs) of popcorn and a movie. So, you will get one pack a popcorn with the movie pass on it as you leave uh, today, okay? And we want you to use that as families in one way or another. Now, let me give another explanation about uh, 
the importance of the Sabbath and worship. And some of you expressed to me, you know, there are certain times I have to work or my husband has to work or I have to work on Sundays. And I understand that. That's part of the demand of some jobs today. I don't want to underemphasize the significance of Sunday and the Sabbath, taking a Sabbath. So when you're not having to work on Sunday, then, you know, this is the place to be. But with those weeks that you do have to work on Sunday, it is so important that you do take a day of Sabbath. We all need a day of Sabbath. That means to rest. You need to rest and refuel and refocus and regroup. Okay? I'm not here to lay a, a guilt trip on you when you have to work on Sundays. Okay? So, today let's talk about how Sundays can make better families. Maybe how they can even change your family. Uh, and this is a message that's desired uh, in my intent to challenge us as believers to pass the Christian faith on to the next generation. In fact, um, our planning committee for the 35th anniversary of our church that we'll celebrate on November 22nd chose this theme, Tell the Next Generation. That, that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to look back and celebrate 35 years. But if you're just looking back, you, you, all, all you're going to see is the past. We need to be looking forward with, with the new vision about telling uh, the next generation. So this message is for our church as well as families. It's not just for parents, but it's for grandparents, aunts, and uncles. Uh, it's not just for those who work with our children and, and Allison and the preschool staff. It, it's for, not just for our students' workers who work with our students 6th through 12th grade uh, and for the staff that we have for that. But it's for all of us in the life of this church because somewhere in life we know some young people are children. You know, it could be within your extended family. It could be somewhere uh, where you work. Some of you work professionally with children in school and other places. Some of you coach. Uh, some of you uh, lead scouts. Some of you work with service organizations that work with children. And all of those children, all of them need a Christian influence in their lives. And children today tell us that. We've got a video in which they do that very same thing. Wanting to please the crowd. I'll find myself wanting to please the crowd. I'll need you to remind me that I should obey God. That I should obey God. I'll act like I don't have any problems. I'll need you to show me how to share my struggles with others. I'll want to have a lot of money so I can buy what I want. I'll need you to teach me that my things belong to God. That my things belong to God. I'll struggle with my looks and appearance. I'll need you to remind me that God wonderfully made me. I'll tend to think about myself before others. I'll need you to teach me that the last will become first. The last will become first. The last will become first. I'll think I'm a lot smarter than I actually am. I'll think I'm a lot smarter than I actually am. I'll need you to show me how to learn from God's wisdom. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll want to avoid hard conversations. I'll need you to show me how to speak the truth. In love. In love. I'll look for happiness in many different places. I'll need you to show me that joy is found in following Christ. I'll find myself stuck in bad habits. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you. I'll need you. I'll need you. I'll need you to point me toward Christ when no one else will. To point me toward Christ when no one else will. Well, I think they said it very well, that they need us uh, to show them how to live the Christian life and to be an influence. Um, 
several years ago, back in 1994, a woman by the name of Jane Carver Fletcher, um, who was a Peace Corps worker, uh, wrote a book, a children's book, based upon her experiences in Africa, and they were entitled, It Takes a Village. That uh, title might ring a bell. And in there she tells a story of a, of a young girl named Yemi, uh, whose mother asked her to take care of her younger brother, Koku, on their trip to the market. And the mother goes about her shopping, and um, uh, Yemi is supposed to be looking after a little brother, and somehow she gets distracted, and he gets lost, and she really goes on a frantic search, wondering what's going to happen to him. He's lost. He knows nobody. He's going to be hungry. He's going to be thirsty. He won't ha- have any place he can rest. And when she finally, frantically finds him, all of her worrying was in vain because everywhere he went in that village market, somebody knew him. And they took care of him. They gave him something to drink. They gave him something to eat. They let him rest. And he just went from one market stall to the other. And he had a big day. He was taken care of. And when she finally found her brother, she was so happy and and that he was well-fed and rested. Then she found her mother and she confessed what had happened. And her mother wasn't surprised at all. And this is what she said. She looked at her daughter and she said, What my mama told me, I will tell you. We don't raise our children by ourselves. It takes a village to raise a child. Now, um, Jane Carver Fletcher wrote her book, It Takes a Village, in 1994. There was a later book by the same title was published in 1996 by one of our current presidential candidates. I, don't, I haven't read it, so I don't know if there's any similarities or where that. I'll just let it, leave it at that. But there is another book, It Takes a Village. Now, let me paraphrase that. It takes a church to raise a child. You know, when we have parent-child dedications, there's a place in there that I've not only challenged the parents about being responsible for that child, but the congregation, we have that opportunity to affirm our part in that. Because every child, every young person who comes to the doors of this church has that opportunity to hear about Christ. This is where they're going to hear it. They're not going to hear it in schools. They're not going to hear it out there in the public. We're going to talk about that today, what perilous times they live in. But I want to look together at um, Psalm 78. In the first seven verses particularly of this psalm is a great psalm. In fact, uh, some think that um, this psalm and most psalms were expressed as a prayer. Um, and listen, listen to the words of, of the first seven verses in Psalm 78. Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Now, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the works he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. I hope you see that there's a a pattern there. That that one generation is to teach the next generation. And that generation has responsibility to the generation that comes behind them. To do what? To teach them about God. And the significance about God so that something very powerful will happen. So let's look at this psalm today in these seven verses and that challenge about Sundays can 
change families, and that it takes a church to raise a child. I want you to notice first the concern for future generations. As I said, some writers believe that this was a prayer, uh, and it was to be read and heard in public as well as in private. It was a prayer expressing concern that each generation would tell the following generations about God so that they would come to put their faith and trust in him. You know, we are always only one generation away from having no Christians at all. You ever thought about that? We're only one generation away. If this generation doesn't do its job, who's going to tell the next generation? They're not going to hear that anywhere else. Now, my hunch is that most of you, if you have a prayer journal, an active prayer life, there are some children on there somewhere. They might be yours. They might be your grandchildren. They might be nephews or nieces. They might be uh, children of some of your friends. But I imagine most of us have some children or young people, students, um, that only prayer list and you pray for. Um, maybe you can identify uh, with a pastor by the name of Brian Wilkerson who said, these are some prayers, he says, that probably most of us have prayed at some point in time. Lord, watch over my child as he or she grows within my womb. Lord, let my child be born healthy. Lord, help my child to sleep through the night, please. Lord, keep my child safe as she goes off to school. Lord, please heal my child. Lord, please help my child say no to drugs. Lord, help him to choose the right friends. Lord, lead her to the right college and let us win the lottery so we can pay for it. <laughs> Lord, let him meet a nice girl. Lord, please, make him move out of the house. <laughs> In some form or fashion, we've probably all prayed those kind of prayers. If you're a follower of Christ, Though the most important prayer that you can ever pray for your children is this. Lord, may they come to know you as Savior and follow you all their lives. And that's what the psalm says in this prayer. So that the next generation would know them. That is the precepts and teachings of, of God. Even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children then they would put their trust in God. And would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. See, the psalmist reminds the congregation that the faith we possess is a faith that's been passed down to us by others. Whether it was somebody in our family, whether it was somebody in the church, or a Sunday school class, or an RA group, or wherever they heard it. But the significance is, and most of us can identify with that, that we might have heard that at home, but it was reinforced at church and by other people as well who were believers. And so that responsibility to teach the next generation is not just to the family members, it, though that is very, very significant. But it is also to the church and to us as individuals within the life of the church. That every generation that comes along we have a responsibility to them. And to, to paraphrase the African proverb, we don't lead our children to faith by ourselves. It takes a church to raise a child. 
We all know if you've had children that children are an investment. Time, love, effort, all of that. I read this week, I don't know how old this might be, but it says having and raising a child from birth through high school, not college, but birth through high school, costs $233,530. That's without college. And that's expensive. But the greatest investment in raising a child is planting the seeds of the gospel in that life. And that's the concern expressed over and over and over in this psalm. Is that every generation, every generation has the responsibility to teach the next generation about Jesus. Now, the second thing to look at this psalm is, I think it talks to us about then the commitment that we have to future generations. So when we, when we hear these words about the fact that we have this responsibility, and if we agree on the fact that it takes a church to raise a child, then we have a commitment to be responsible to share two things with children, students, young people, all that, 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 of that generation coming along. First of all, God's stories, and then secondly, God's truths. What do we mean by God's stories? Well, the psalmist said, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. Now, before the Bible was ever written down in written form, we had that oral tradition about the Bible. And that meant as families and people of God sat around and helped. And they had more family time. They didn't have the distractions of, of um, all the social media tools that we have today. I'm sure they had distractions. Every generation has had distractions. But they had time that they would sit and talk about their relationship with God and the things about God. And their storytelling would involve, when you go all the way back, talking about Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, and talking about God and creation, uh, the stories from the tabernacle, and all of those things that they would impart to that next generation so that they could hear the stories about God and the significance of God, the power of God, God's love for them. And then finally that became written form. Now, I, I remember uh, in my young childhood at, in the 50s and into the 60s, the influence of my grandmother. That so many times uh, when I would ask to go out and play or whatever I wanted to do, I either had to tell her my Sunday school lesson from the previous Sunday or I had to listen to her tell me a Bible story. And I just got to where I just would rather hear Mamma tell me a Bible story. And sitting on her lap as a little boy, I heard about these biblical characters. And the one that stuck with me the most was the call of Samuel. And I think that she told me that at the appropriate time that God was beginning to work in my life, that I would hear the voice of God and respond to his call. And I did at RA camp. But we all need to tell the stories of God. That means you've got to have knowledge of that. Okay? But the most significant story I think you can tell about God and what God has done is to tell your faith story. So don't let a generation, your children or your grandchildren, come through your life before you leave this world without letting them hear your faith story. That is so significant. Yeah, there's a concept out here about God and all that God has done in the stories out of the Bible. Your story isn't in there. Tell them your story, how you came to know Christ, 
the impact he's made on your life, the change that he's made on your life. You see, we're told to do that. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, known as the Shema, was a great command given to the Jewish families. Where Moses said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, that command still follows true to us today. It's not obsolete because it's in the Old Testament. But we update it with the story of Christ. But we, we, we follow through these same things that the Lord God is one. I mean, you're to love the Lord, and, and then you're to impress these things upon your children. And there's a pattern there. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. You see, for most of us as families, it's difficult to say, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to have family time. And everybody puts everything aside. Families are, are so busy today. Even back then, God knew that. And so through Moses, he gave that command and said, talk about it when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, he's saying, through all the experiences of life, watch for those teachable moments that you make sure you take the word of God with you, that you teach it and you talk about it. Look for those teachable moments where you can bring the truth of God into the story of your family and whatever you might be going through. And it could be a fun time. I mean, it could be going through a crisis time. It could be where you are coming to the support and encouragement of of another family that's going to a time of crisis. Uh, It could be that you've seen decisions made at church where people have given their life to Christ, whether it's older children or our students or, or, or an adult. And that's the opportunity to talk on the way home about that. Sometime during the week. See, we're given that command and that responsibility that that's what we're supposed to do. Somebody said once the most important work you or I will ever do will be within the walls of our own homes. When you look at what our culture says today is so important, I think that we would think that, you know, a fine car, a great house, a wonderful uh, lifestyle, maybe exotic trips and all those kinds of things are the ultimate sign of success. But it's interesting that in a fairly recent George Barner nationwide survey, they asked people what would make them really happy. What life outcome would they view as truly successful? Well, some said some kind of tangible accomplishment like financial accumulation. About 14% said emotional fulfillment, 8% listed good health, but surprisingly, even in today, the most desired outcome, number one, expressed by 32% of the people in this poll was that they would have a good family life. And they considered their life a success if they had a strong family unit and if they had children, they had done a good job of raising their children. We also know the significance of teaching this early to our children because childhood and adolescence are the most formative years in a person's life. 
And George, George Barnett, once again with some others, have done some research and they tell us that somewhere between 76 to 85% of all Christ followers made their decision to follow Christ before the age of 18. And that the vast majority of those decisions were made before the age of 14. And they also tell us that what a person believes by the age of 13, they are likely to believe for the rest of their lives. Then he also tells us this, George Barnum once again, that like our children in the video, nearly half of today's teenagers say they have no positive role models in their lives. You see, it takes a church to raise a child. It takes dedicated Christ followers. Whether you're related to that child, whether you're a teacher, a coach, whether you have some kind of relationship somewhere with that child or that young person to be a positive role model as a believer. Now, there's a second thing about this commitment that we're supposed to do. Not only God's stories, but we also are responsible for telling God's truths. We must teach God's truth to what I call today the most at-risk generation ever to walk the face of this earth. Would you agree with that? They are growing up in a society that believes that there's more than one way to get to heaven and that we who believe in only one way are very narrow-minded and we are very restrictive in who can make that decision. Our children are growing up in a culture and society today in which there are no absolute morals. They're growing up where same-sex marriage has been made legal. And, of course, they are exposed to the homosexual lifestyle as an acceptable form of life. I fear for their future. I have nine grandchildren. There's no telling by the time they are 15 years old what this culture is going to be like unless it makes a change for the better. This week, we lost a great baseball player, icon, Yogi Berra. He was one of my idols as a kid. You know, Yogi's known for his Yogiisms, things that he said, you know, that were kind of, they were funny because sometimes they didn't make sense. You know, things like when you come to a fork in the road, take it, and, and or things like when he was a manager, he said, you know, baseball is, is um, 50% mental and the other 90% is physical. <laughs> He wasn't great at math. But Yogi said something way back then that's, that, that rings true today. He said, the future ain't what it used to be. Would you agree with that? The future ain't what it used to be. So let me mention four things. What, what truths are so important that we need to teach our children? Because believe me, they are not going to hear it anywhere else but church and home today. Salvation is owned through Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12, if you don't know this, write it down. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. See, if there was any other way, God wouldn't have sent Jesus to die on the cross, right? Now, those who say, well, that's very exclusive, that's a very narrow thing. No, no, no. Go look at John 3.16. For God so loved the what? The world. That's everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the word of God. That's the truth 
teach it. How about sexual purity? You know, we're learning that, that uh, the promiscuity has always been an issue and it's still one today. How do you get across to young people the reason why they should keep their bodies pure? We talk so much about the issues about homosexuality and same-sex um, marriage and all of that. You know, we need to talk about sexual immorality in, in its entirety. You see, in 1 Corinthians 6, verses like verses 9, 13, 18, we hear words like this. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Then we're told, flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And why do we keep our bodies clean and pure and, and, and not involved in sexual immorality? Well, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You see, sex is intended for marriage, inside the parameters of marriage. Not before, not outside of marriage, but only in marriage. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 reminds us, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Hebrews 13.4 reminds us that marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Homosexuality is not the only issue that we have out there sexually today. Same-sex marriage is not the only issue we have. There's a whole lot of other sexual immorality that's going on. That needs to be addressed and dealt with. If you're a believer in Christ and a follower after Christ and you are married, that is the only context for you in which you have sex. Now, what about the issue of homosexuality? Well, yes, it's in the Bible. Some people say, well, that's in the Old Testament where God calls it an abomination. Well, it's also in the New Testament where Paul writes about it in Romans 1. He talks about God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Uh, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. That's the NIV translation, perversion. That's what God's Word calls it. Leviticus 18.22 in the Old Testament says, Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman, for that is detestable. Other translations say that is an abomination in the sight of God. You see, here's the problem, and some of you young people know this already. That they are getting exposed to in their school and at at ball games and other places like that in our culture today. Where they have friends at school who come from same-sex marriages. And it's a pretty stable lifestyle in some ways. And some of them are doing a good job of parenting. Doesn't make it right. But there's going to be that challenge that I've always said. And it's not original with me. But it was passed on to me. It just stuck with me. But it said... What one generation tolerates, what? The next generation embraces. And so parents, sometimes you're going to, if you haven't already been hit with it, you're going to say, well, you know, Susie's got two mommies, and, and, you know, what's wrong with that? They both love her. Or so-and-so has two daddies. What's wrong with that? How are you going to answer that question? 
Well, you might need to learn the other one. That's the definition of marriage. Genesis 2.24, way back when God created Adam and Eve, he said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Jesus quotes that later on in the New Testament. Marriage is defined as a union for a lifetime between a man and a woman. We used to could say between two people for a lifetime. No, nope, you can't say that anymore. It's between a man and a woman. That's the way God ordained it. That's the way we're created to be. That's the way it should be. Now, those are but four, four, four truths that I picked out. But I think they're kind of encompassing about our culture and our lifestyle today that needs to be addressed. So we go back to the premise and say, Sundays can change your family as the church and the home work together to make sure that each generation understands the stories of God and the truth of God. And with that in mind, Sundays can change your family. Many years ago when Mother Teresa received the Nobel Peace Prize, the question came up about what can you do to to promote world peace? And she looked at the gathered crowd and she said, what can you do to promote world peace? She said, go home and love your family. So I challenge you today, go home and love your family. Tell God's stories. Tell God's truths. Pass on that faith to the next generation. Father, help us as Christ followers, as your children, to be able to take these words and to be able to pass them on to the next generation, that we would do so faithfully and honorably in your sight, all for your glory. Father, I pray for families today in this culture uh, that we would be able to maintain our integrity as believers through your teaching, to your word, and that we would be able to teach that and pass that on with understanding and clarity and love to our children and grandchildren and others whom we have the opportunity to influence. Father, I pray for this nation that does not know right from wrong, that continues to reject you at every turn. And I pray that something will happen that will bring this nation to its knees and back to you. And I pray for the family unit. Because before you created the church or anything else, you created the institution of marriage and you created family. And I pray today, Father, your blessings upon every family here, no matter what the makeup of that family, that we will be on mission for you and that Sundays can make a difference for these families. And I pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.